So this morning, we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. So we'll be in the Old Testament this morning. And I'll give you some time to turn there. And again, that's 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. Title of my sermon this morning is, It is Better to Obey. It is Better to Obey. If you have it, say amen. Amen. And if you can, please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. So 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 12, read this way. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel made offerings to it. He trusted in the Lord. God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. Verse 6, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from Watchtower to Fortify City. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Eli, king of Israel, Shalomaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Halah and on the Haber, the river of Gozen, and in the cities of the Medes. Verse 12, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. You may be seated. We're going to look to the Lord right now and ask for his help in understanding this passage and applying it to our lives today. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to to hear your word. I pray, Father, that as your word is preached through me, that you will be with me, that I will preach with clarity. I pray that people would believe your word, that people will see the benefits of obeying you and how you reward obedience. And I pray that people will see how you punish disobedience. 
Lord, be with us. Lord, speak to us. Prepare our hearts and our minds right now. Eliminate all distractions. Pray that your people will be comforted today by hearing from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prosperity. Success. I think it's safe to say that in life, we all desire to prosper, to succeed. I've never met one person who was comfortable with being a failure. It doesn't matter if you're doing something as small as cutting the grass, putting together a puzzle, working on a project at work. We all desire to succeed, to prosper. It is such a great feeling when we take on a challenge and we conquer that challenge. I grew up playing the sport of basketball, as most of you know. Haven't played in a while, but I do miss it, man. I sure do miss playing basketball, but I'm getting older. But anyway, I grew up playing a game of basketball, right? And basketball is a very competitive sport, right? Much like football, baseball, much like all other sports. Now, in playing the game of basketball, there are certain rules, certain instructions that you have to abide by in order to play the game and have success. If I showed up to a basketball court and I tried to incorporate the rules for hockey or football, <laughs> how much success do you think I would have? Right? I couldn't be, exactly, I couldn't be tackling people on the court. I couldn't show up with a football trying to shoot it in a basketball hoop. You like my form there? Okay. <laughs> my point is this, in life, if we fail to obey God, ultimately, we will not prosper. We will not succeed in life. As we look at 2 Kings chapter 18, we're going to see two pictures. One picture, we're going to see what it looks like to obey God. And we're going to see that through the reign of King Hezekiah. The other picture is going to show us a life of disobedience. And we're going to see that by looking through the, uh, the life of King Hosea. And in both pictures, we're going to see how God responds to the two. So we'll see how he responds to obedience and how he responds to disobedience. And the main point I want to communicate from this passage is this, real simple. God rewards obedience, and he punishes disobedience. So since he rewards obedience and punishes disobedience, therefore, brothers and sisters, we must obey God if we will prosper in this life. As we look at 2 Kings chapter 18, First picture we see, we see King Hezekiah. Verses 1 through 8, we see a summary of his reign of the, as a king of Judah. Now, Judah was the southern kingdom of Israel. He began his kingship at 25 years old, and he reigned for 29 years. It says that he was the son of Ahaz. If you know anything about the history of Israel's kings, King Ahaz wasn't a good king. He failed to trust in God for help, and as a result... He was taken into captivity. But in verse 3, we see that King Hezekiah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 4, we see that Hezekiah brought about reformation throughout the land of Judah. You see, prior to his reign, the people had fallen into idolatry. They defiled the land. They defiled the temple. They were worshiping God in the wrong way. But Hezekiah removed the idols. He cleansed the temple, right? He cleansed the land. He exhorted the priests to not be negligent in their service to God and their service to the people. So he restored temple worship. Verse 5 tells us that he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, 
so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. Verse 6 goes on and says, For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Do you see this connection between trust and obedience? Hezekiah trusted. He held fast. He never departed from following God. You see, having faith in God is more than just saying, oh yeah, I believe in God. Having faith in God is, is a trust, is a commitment to following him. I'm always taken back when I hear somebody say, well, I believe in God. They, they, they make this profession of faith, but then you look at their life and they walk in total disobedience to God. Maybe you're here today and, and that's you that I'm talking about. You've made a, a profession, but yet your life doesn't match your professional faith. Let me just give you a word of advice. You might want to reevaluate the God that you believe in. Because if you believe in the God of the Bible, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one that is holy, the one that is righteous, then you will walk in obedience to him. It goes on in verse 7. It says this, And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. And I don't want us to miss this connection between obedience and prosperity. All throughout Scripture, there's a general principle that if you obey God, you will prosper. And I said general principle, okay? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33 states this, But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says this, talking about the blessed man, talking about the happy man. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that if you obey God, that he's going to always reward you with materialistic blessings. So please, if you're thinking that, get it out of your mind. God never said that in Scripture, okay? There are plenty of Christians who have lived a life of like, obedience to God, and they left this earth with nothing, with no material things. Just read Hebrews 11 when you get a chance. But just think about the first followers of Christ, the lives that they lived, the persecution that they faced, and they were obedient to God. And look at the deaths that they died. Think about Christians who were slaves during the transatlantic slave trade. And we see how the lives that they lived. They weren't blessed with a lot of materialistic things. Now, if it's God's will and he happened to bless you with materialistic things, praise God. But I'm just simply saying, just because you obey God, that doesn't always mean that he's going to reward you in that way. The prosperity I see in our text is much greater than materialistic blessings. This prosperity comes in the form of a spiritual blessing. It consists of God's presence with his people. It involves God being on our side. It has to do with, with God's favor being with us. And if God is with us, if he's for us, who can be against us? So as you sit here, I want you to reflect, I want you to, uh, reflect on your life. Think of the things that make you anxious. Think of your weaknesses. Think of the things that trouble and grieve your soul. Think of the things that are tempting you right now to abandon all hope. 
And I want us to take heart this morning. Remain steadfast in your trust of God. Continue to walk in obedience to him, no matter the severity of the situation you're going through. And I guarantee you, your life will be blessed. When we encounter the trials of life, on what will we trust in? Well, to look at it another way, will we continue to obey God when times are hard? Or will we seek to compromise and ultimately end up disobeying God? The choice is before you this morning. Will you obey or will you disobey? There you go, Tony. I hope everybody can say that today. (laughs) As we look at this passage, I see three reasons why we must obey God. Regardless the magnitude of difficulty we face. Number one, if you're taking notes, obedience to God gives us assurance of his presence. And if we have assurance of his presence... Oh, that will be a great comfort for us. That will give us confidence. You know that feeling of having a bad dream, right, as a child, you wake up in fear. If you're anything like me, when I was growing up, and dang, my mom's not here, so I can say this. Look, when I was growing up, I used to always watch, like, horror movies. I used to love Halloween. I still do. Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on M Street. I love, like, them old, like, horror movies. And I would always make the mistake of watching these movies like right before bedtime, right? <laughs> so of course I had bad dreams. I was like fighting in my sleep, screaming and stuff. But no, no, no matter how afraid I was, I was always comforted by my mom, by my dad, by their presence, right? King Hezekiah, he had assurance of God's presence. First part of verse 7 says this, and the Lord was with him meaning that God remained with Hezekiah during his life. He didn't leave him. He never forsook him. Why was God with him? Why did Hezekiah have assurance of God's presence? Well, we see it in verses 5 and 6. It tells us Hezekiah trusted. He obeyed. He remained loyal to God. Can you imagine the effect this must have had on Hezekiah's life to know that the God of creation, the all-powerful one, the sovereign one, was with him? You see, at this time, Hezekiah found himself in a crisis. King Hezekiah in Judah was facing a great threat of danger from the Assyrians. You see, the Assyria was the dominant world power at the time. The Assyrians had just taken the northern tribes of Israel into captivity, and now they have focused their attention on Judah, on King Hezekiah. Put yourself in the shoes of King Hezekiah for a moment. You have the most powerful nation in the world coming to besiege you and take you into captivity. How in the world would you respond to a crisis like that? You see, when we face hard times, we find ourselves, when we, when we face hard times, when we find ourselves under pressure, when we're filled with fear and hopelessness, in those moments, we tend to lack faith. We lack trust in God. We doubt God. We don't always think clearly when we're in the middle of the fire of affliction. We can sometimes make rash uh, rash decisions that we end up regretting. You see, I want us to think clearly this morning. I want us to have a right view of God and of his power. I think King Hezekiah found comfort in the fact that God was with him. He found comfort in the fact that God was committed 
to him. He found comfort in the fact that God was on his side. Have you experienced the comfort of God? Do you know what it feels like to have God on your side and to be for you? Psalm 37 verse 5 tells us, it says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. I wonder, are you committed to the Lord today? Have you committed your life to him? Or have you abandoned him? Today, the invitation is for you to return to God. Renew your commitment to him today. You see, at no time do we see Hezekiah panic during this crisis. In fact, King Hezekiah was so confident in God, he refused to, to surrender and to serve the king of Assyria. If we jump to verse 19, the military leader of Assyria at this time was kind of like taken back by Hezekiah's confidence, by his trust in God. So he asked him the question, he says, well, what do you rest this trust of yours? Verse 20, it says, do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? And whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Let me give you my translation to what this military leader said to him. King Hezekiah, you must be tripping if you think that you're going to stop us from besieging you, from taking you guys into captivity. There's no one stronger than us. Have you looked at the size of our army? Do you know what we did to the others? There's no hope for you, King Hezekiah. You might as well just give in. Serve us. Oh, church, what voices are you listening to? Are those voices tempting you to distrust God? You see, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God, the word of Christ. Look, this is why it's so important for us to walk by faith and not by sight. If we walk by sight, meaning if we lived our lives in a, by looking at the things that we see and govern our lives, making choices based off of what we see, oh, there would be no hope for us. We would be left with despair. But the last time I checked, Christians are people of faith. We are people who trust in an all-powerful God, a sovereign God. As we walk in obedience to God, we have assurance of his presence. And if he's with us, we can withstand anything. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. It reads this way. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God was with, was, uh, with King Hezekiah during his crisis. And he will be with us during our crisis, today and tomorrow. So just to recap, obedience 
to God gives us assurance of his presence. And with us having his presence, that gives us comfort. It gives us confidence to endure anything that we come up against. And number two, we must obey God because obedience to God leads to prosperity. It leads to success. One of my favorite movies to watch is uh, Rocky IV. Ayana knew this, right? So if you've seen Rocky IV before, and if you haven't seen it, and I don't know what's up with your taste in movies, that's like a classic, right? So in this movie, Rocky, and you know how small Sylvester Stallone is, right? He's, he's fighting uh, this Russian, Ivan Drago, right? Drago was so much bigger, so much stronger than Rocky. If you were a betting man, it's no way you would put your money on Rocky. There's no way. And not to mention, the Russian was on steroids. He really was. They, they showed him like getting the needle and everything. So the odds were stacked against Rocky. The same could be said of Assyria and Judah at this time. Assyria's army consisted of some 185,000 people, while Judah barely had 2,000. If you had to place a bet on who would be victorious, the majority of the people would probably put their money on Assyria. The outcome looked bleak for Judah. But look at the second part of verse 7. It says this, wherever he went out, he prospered. We see that God granted Hezekiah success. We see examples of his, uh, of his success in the uh, remainder of verse 7. And in verse 8, it reads this way. He rebelled against the king of Assyria, and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from Watchtower to Fortified City. For Hezekiah to stand up against Assyria was no small thing. But despite the immeasurable odds he was facing, he continued, he persisted in obedience to God, regardless of the pressure he was under. You see, years earlier, his dad, King Ahaz, gave into that pressure. And he became the servant and the vassal of the king of Assyria. You see, Ahaz placed his trust in the king of Assyria to help him. Think about that. He placed his trust in the king of Assyria to help him during his problems that he was having, these political problems. Like, he had God with him, an all-powerful God, but yet he chose to place his trust in the king of Assyria, in another man. And we see how it ended up for King Ahaz. He was taken into captivity. You see, in the ancient Near East, covenantal relationships consisted of a uh, superior party, which is known as the suzerain. And this was usually a king who provided stipulations for the covenant. Right? The superior king would offer blessings in return for the lesser king. The lesser king was known as the vassal, in, uh, in, uh, in return for their obedience and their loyalty. The vassal would also have to pay a yearly tribute. But we see King Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria. He refused to serve him. Hezekiah recognized that only God deserved his loyalty. He recognized that only God deserved full obedience. He recognized that only God deserved to be worshipped. He recognized that he was in a covenantal relationship with God. I asked you this morning, where does your loyalty lie? 
Have you forgotten that you are in a covenantal relationship with God that was made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ? Your loyalty deserves to be with God. Our loyalty must never be to sin. It must never be to our flesh. Our loyalty must be to God and him alone. And rightfully so, right? Is not he the one who created us? Is he the one who who loves us? Is he the one who uh, redeems us? Is he the one who watches tirelessly over us, protects us, provides for us daily? Shouldn't our loyalty be to him? Hezekiah recognized the truth, and this is why he had success in his battle with the Assyrians. This is why he was able to defeat the Philistines and conquer all their territory. He obeyed God, and it led to his success. It led to his prosperity. So that's the picture of King Hezekiah. Right? He obeyed God, and this obedience gave him assurance of God's presence, which in turn gave him comfort gave him confidence, gave him prosperity. Now let's look at the other picture. And as we look at this other picture, we see that King Hosea lived a life of disobedience. And as a result, he was punished. And that's the third point that I want to share with you. Disobedience leads to punishment. Now let's say someone murdered your family member, right? And I hope that no one ever has to experience this, right? Let's say this individual was found guilty by a jury of his peers. However, when it was time for sentencing, the judge let this individual go free. What would your feelings be toward this judge? I'll tell you this, we would be in an outrage. We would be calling for this judge to be removed from the court. Now, why would this be our feeling? Why would we be so outraged? It's because as humans, we all believe in the concept of justice. If you do wrong, you deserve to be punished. It's that simple. We all believe that. That's why we have laws. Laws are meant to be obeyed. In a human court of law, justice must be carried out. If this is true of a human court, how much more do you think this is true of God's court? God is the righteous judge. He's a holy judge. Right? He's going to always do what's right. And he's going to always carry out justice. Let's look at verses 9 through 12. And it reads this way. It says, In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, King of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Halah and on the Haber, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Verse 12, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. Let me repeat that. They neither listened nor obeyed. 
As we look at this second picture of King Hosea's life, everything that was true of Hezekiah, the opposite was true of King Hosea. He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He refused to listen to God. He refused to trust God. He chose to serve the king of Assyria. He refused to obey God. He departed from following God. He led the people into idolatry. And as a result, he was punished. He was sent into captivity. We shouldn't be surprised by the fact that God punishes disobedience. We see this all throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation. If you remember the story with Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, he exiled them. They had to leave the Garden of Eden. And this same thing is true today. If you disobey God, things will not go well for you. Ultimately, you will be judged. You will be punished. And I don't know about you, but that's a scary thing to know, that God punishes disobedience. It really is. And someone might say, well, why, why is that, that scary? Well, because we all disobey. There's no one in this room that is perfect. I was just uh, yesterday having a conversation with Nyla. And Nyla is, is she five years old yet, Jody? She turned five in October, right? So she's four years old. We're sitting at the table. And she said, um, we was talking about God. And she said, uh, she said, do you know all people are guilty? I said, absolutely. <laughs> like, if a four-year-old knows this, all of us know this, right? We all know that we are guilty before God. And again, that is a scary thing. That's right. And look, check this out. As faithful as Hezekiah was as a king, even he struggled with pride toward the end of his life. Even he failed to live godly at all times. In fact, toward the end of his life, Isaiah the prophet warned him that his descendants will be taken into Bab uh, Babylonian captivity. You see, under a monarchy, what we see is a connection between the fate of the king and the fate of those that he ruled. So if the king was a good king, if he was faithful, if he walked in obedience to God, the nation was blessed. If he was unfaithful, if he was disobedient, the nation didn't prosper. They didn't succeed. Don't you know that we need a king who will obey God at all times so that we can flourish, so that we can prosper in life? You see, many years before King Hezekiah took the throne, God made a promise to King David. Let's turn to 2 Samuel, if you can, real quick, and it's just before 1 Kings. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, and it reads this way. When your days are fulfilled, talking about David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, 
because I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. But King Solomon wasn't the fulfillment of this promise. King Hezekiah, as good as a king as he was, wasn't the fulfillment of this promise. I declare before you today that Jesus Christ is the promised king. He is the true king. He's the standard of kings. You want to see what perfect obedience looks like? Look at Christ. You want to see what success and prosperity look like? Look at Christ. Don't you understand that just as Hezekiah was facing this uh, great threat of danger from the powerful Assyrians, we too are facing a great threat of, da- uh, a great threat of danger, which is known as sin. You see, sin is crouching at the door. Sin wants to take us captive. The penalty of sin is death, both physical and eternal. But the good news of the gospel is that King Jesus defeated it all. Christ trusted and obeyed God the Father. He never compromised in his obedience and his trust of God. Through his death on the cross, our, through his death on the cross for our sin, Christ destroyed the power and the penalty of sin. And therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You see, Christ's obedience purchased the blessings of deliverance and salvation for his people. And this Jesus, after being raised three days later from the grave, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day he's coming back to save his people. But he's also coming back to punish those who have disobeyed him in this life. I remember one preacher saying one time, he said, talking about the second coming of Christ, he says, he has good news and bad news. Good news, Christ is coming. Bad news, Christ is coming. It depends on what line, what side of the line you stand on. For Christians, this is good news that he's coming back. During Hezekiah crisis, Right? Hezekiah prayed for God to deliver him from the people uh, of the Assyrians. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 19, real quick. Verse 35, 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. And this comes after Hezekiah's prayer, right? We see God responding to Hezekiah's prayer for deliverance. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, and it reads, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Behold, these were all dead bodies. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, this is your fate. You will be destroyed. If you continue in disobedience to Christ, your life will not end well. But the same God who punishes disobedience is the same God that's full of grace, full of mercy. And he's extending it to you today. Repent of your sins. Trust in Christ today. Now, I don't want any one of us to leave here thinking that our obedience somehow earns God's favor. You see, as Christians, we walk in obedience to God because we already have obtained his favor. 
through what Christ has done for us, that motivates our obedience. We already have his approval. Look, if salvation was dependent on our own personal obedience, no one in this room would be safe. No one. Salvation is dependent on God's grace. It's dependent on Christ's obedience. It all hangs on him. And that's why we sing, no list of sins I have not done, no list of virtues I pursue, no list of those I am not like can earn myself a place with you. Oh God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner through and through. My only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only you. Amen. Father, we thank you for Christ. Lord, we could never live a life of personal, perfect, perpetual obedience to you. But we thank you for Christ because he took our place. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. So we rejoice in him. We praise him. We serve him. We worship him. And Lord, we love him. So I pray, God, that you would continue to help us by your grace to walk in obedience to you. I pray, Father, that we would continue to trust you even when times are hard, even when we find ourselves in a crisis. I pray that we would never compromise on obeying you. So give us the strength, give us the courage to obey you. And what we will find is that you're with us. And I pray that this would be a great encouragement to help us to persevere in obedience to, into, uh, to you. We thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.